Mercy done out an everlasting Father, we are thankful this morning for your love and your mercy. We are thankful for the high privilege that is ours to approach you, knowing that you do hear us because we have a high priest. So, Father, we have gathered together in obedience to your instruction that we should do so, especially as we see the evil days draw near, and we know we are in a tumultuous times. We do pray, Heavenly Father, that you continue to enable us to be firm, to understand what you have in your plan for us, so that we can individually and collectively as a body advance in the ways that will bring glory to your Son, Jesus Christ. So we realize that our human minds are incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So, Heavenly Father, it is a request that God the Holy Spirit, the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 through 13, that we have been dealing with the death of some Israelites in the desert. I'm going to read beginning from verse 11. Say, these things happened to you as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is coming to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now we have come to our last consideration of this section of 1 Corinthians 10 verses 5 through 13. Recall that is primary message is that enjoyment of God's blessing under a good spiritual leader will not shield you from his judgment if you displease him. Now we stated that there are three primary reasons for presenting the message of this section the way we did. The first is that the Holy Spirit conveyed to us through uh, Apostle Paul that the date of majority of the Israelites in the desert was because of God's displeasure with them. A second is that, there is, that the dates in the desert of most of the Israelites that left Egypt is to dissuade us from evil desires. The third is because Israel's experiences in the desert are recorded or written down for us as examples and warning. Now this third reason consists of three elements. The first is the statement of this fact of Israel's examples in verse 11. The second is the warning or exaltation given in verse 12 that cautions against self-confidence that may lead to failure in the spiritual life. The third 
consists of the subject of temptation or trial in verse 13 presented in form of three facts. The Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul wanted the Corinthians and so all believers to know. A first is that no believer ever faces a temptation or trial that is not common to fallen humanity or that is not bearable. It is with this fact uh, stated in the first sentence of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. Again it says, No temptation has seized you except what is uh, common to man. It is with this that we ended our last study. So, we continue with further exposition of it. Now recall, we argued that in our context, the Greek word translated temptation should be translated examination or temptation in the sense of an examination to learn the nature or the character of a person or to cause the person to do something wrong. Of course, we considered the examination to be either friendly so that the word may be translated or we can use test or trial which which are the words that most of us are familiar with and they may be appropriate to be a way to uh, describe what we call it a friendly uh, examination or really that the examination may be hostile in which case the word temptation uh, in the way most of us are used to may then apply now with this explanation we may restate the first fact as no believer ever faces an examination that is not bearable. Thus, no believer will ever face a friendly or hostile examination that is not common to fallen humanity or bearable as in the sentence of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 again it says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Now every believer regularly faces an examination that is either friendly or hostile. I use notice the word I say regularly. In other words, it's really a daily thing. That's why I say regularly. Now we use the word faces because of the expression has ceased. Has ceased. The word ceased is translated from a Greek word that may mean to get uh, to get hold of something by laying hands on or grasping something directly or indirectly. Hence, the Greek word means to take, to take in hand or to grasp. As it is used to indicate that Jesus Christ took on the form of a slave for our benefit. In Philippians Chapter 2, verse 7. Philippians, 
chapter 2 verse 7. Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 reads, But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now the phrase, nature of a servant, the Greek reads this way, nature of a slave. Now the word may mean to take into one's possession, hence to acquire, does the word, or even to take, does the word is used for Jesus Christ voluntarily giving up his life in order to take possession of it again and on his own authority as we read in John chapter 10 verse 18. John chapter 10 verse 18. John chapter 10 verse 18 reads, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down from, of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it again. This command I receive from my father. The verbal phrase to take up it again may be translated to take possession of it again. Now the word, the Greek word may mean to lay hands on, to seize of course, of, of a person, as the word is used for example, of evil spirit, taking possession of a boy that the father brought to the Lord Jesus Christ for healing as recorded in Luke Chapter 9, verse 39. Luke, chapter 9, verse 39. And hold on to that Luke. Also, pick another passage from me. Luke 9, chapter 9, verse 39 reads... A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. He throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. He scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. So here, seized by an evil spirit. Now the meaning to seize or to come upon someone may be applied to emotions or feelings as in the emotional response of those who witnessed the lost healing of a paralyzed man as recorded still in Luke chapter 5, look at verse 26. Luke chapter 5 Verse 26. It is everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, 
we have seen remarkable things today. So that clause, everyone was seized, is literally from the Greek, amazement seized them all. Amazement seized them all. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, the word, the Greek word means to seize or to affect, to affect. In the sense of to act upon a person's mind or feelings so as to effect a response. Again, that in our passage, the Greek word means to seize or really to affect, to affect. In the sense of to act upon a person's mind or feelings as to effect a response. Thus, every believer will have an examination that will affect the mind or the person's emotion to see how the believer will respond. You have that test, that examination. So the point is not so much that an examination will take hold of you as if it it has hands to grasp you, but that you will regularly face examination as a believer, whether friendly or hostile, that will affect your mind or your emotion to see how you will respond. You have an examination. It's going to affect your mind or your emotions to see how you're going to respond. Now, an important truth that a believer then should hold to when faced with examination that is either friendly or hostile, is that whatever the person faces is something uh, common to humanity or bearable. As in the clause that we are looking at in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, when it says, except what is common to man. Except what is common to man. Now the expression, what is common to man, it's really one word in the Greek, an adjective that pertains to being a person that is human. So, the word is used in contrast to that which is divine as it is used in describing human institution of authority in First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. First Peter chapter two verse thirteen. It reads First Peter chapter two verse thirteen reads Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority. See that the clause, every authority instituted among men of the NIV, is more literally, every human authority. That's what the Greek says, every human authority. Now the word is used in a general, generally for human activities or deeds, as it is used for the activity of speaking the apostle mentioned, with reference to the, uh, what he did with the 
believers in Rome in Romans chapter 6 verse 19. Romans chapter 6 verse 19. Romans chapter 6 verse 19 reads, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever increase in wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. See the sentence, I put this in human terms, is literally, I am speaking in human terms. I am speaking in human terms. So the apostle meant to say that he was speaking as people do in daily life. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, the Greek Adjective used really has the meaning of common to humanity. Common to humanity. So, what does then the expression, what is common to man mean in relation to the word temptation? Now, using the meaning examination, for the Greek word translated temptation, we can say that the expression means there is no examination that comes to a believer that cannot be passed or is unique to the individual. In other words, there's no examination that will use temptation or whatever that will come to you that you cannot pass. That's what it is. Or that it doesn't come to you and you think you're the only first person on this planet to see it. No, it's not unique to you. Now since we have indicated that the examination could be friendly in the sense of taste that may involve suffering or hostile in the sense of being concerned that, that the one examined will sin. Then we elaborate on what the expression actually means. On one hand, if the examination is friendly or hostile that involves suffering, then the expression what is common to man means that there is no trial through suffering that a believer faces that is not bearable or that is unique to that individual. On the other hand, if the examination is hostile, that is intended to cause a believer to sin, then we can say that the expression what is common to man means that there is no temptation to sin that could not be resisted or that is not faced by others. In other words, you're not ever going to face a temptation on this planet that you cannot resist. That's not going to happen. Now, whether we resist it or not, it's a different story. But it's, it's, it's that whatever comes, we are capable of resisting it. The other part of it is that uh, other people have faced that. The others have faced that and passed it too. Anyway, 
So our interpretation of the expression, what is common to man in relation to examination or temptation, can then be applied in two ways, from what I've explained so far. When a believer faces trial or suffering, that believer should be encouraged by the fact that there are believers, either in the past or in the present, that have faced similar situations and came out victorious. Now Abraham faced a friendly testing of offering his son Isaac. He passed the examination as he obeyed the Lord. Now you will not be asked to sacrifice your son. But the principle is that of sacrificing whatever is there to you to prove your devotion or faithfulness to the Lord. In other words, you will be asked to sacrifice whatever is there, something that you hold so precious, to see your devotion to the Lord. You will be asked to do that. So you may face a situation where you will have to sacrifice family relationships in order to be faithful to God's word. In effect, as I say, our problems as Christians, our problem collectively, is the inability to apply what we hear to situations that we deal with. In other words, we learn these things, alright? But when it comes close to us, we don't even remember that's what we should use it for. So we think it applies to something else. No. When we face a temptation similar to Abraham, God is not going to shout from heaven and say, go give your son to this and that. But no, he's not going to do that. But he's going to present you situations that will test whether you actually are devoted to him through what you hold so dear, whatever that happened to be. In other words, I'm saying that you may face a situation that requires believing the assertion of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. It is, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now you think about this. What he's saying to you and, and to me is simply this. When we stand by truth, it's going to create division. Most of us are not willing to go through division in the family. Because we just want to hold the family together. That is something that once you do, 
you have failed the test. In other words, for the, what they call for the family, peace. Then you must go along with everything. And when you do that, you have failed completely as a believer. Now I use Abraham, but I remember I've used this before of a young person related to this church one way or the other that uh, came to uh, the mother's house during the Thanksgiving. And the sister brought uh, her boyfriend. And the young man said to the mother, this man says he's a believer. But I just know he's sleeping around with, that, with my sister. I cannot stay on the same table and eat with him. The mother hid the ceiling. Say, what is that? He said, the man said, because the Bible tells me if a believer does X, Y, Z, don't even eat with that person. He said, for that reason, I'm not going to sit on the same table. The mother was so furious that he went to the pastor that the, you know, the young man listened to, her, to us that he still goes to a church where he, he is. So he went to the pastor. The mother you know, just kind of stomped to the pastor. So what is this? And uh, you know, the pastor to me cowardly said, well, yeah, the Bible says that it is for the church to apply. <laughs> That's the, that's the way he cocked out of it. He said, yeah, the, the young man put it correctly just for the church to apply. And who is the church? How is the church going to apply if it's not the individual believers in the local church? But as you see, that's an example. I just use that one because that's an example of what we're looking at. Because the mother, who also claims to be a Christian, has seen a division. Because he said, you're destroying our family. And boom. does this passage ever apply? Have you ever really thought about this passage and what you do? Does it ever apply to you? Or you just read it and file it away? There has to be, that's what we're looking at, when you're going to be faced with it, an examination where will you do what the Bible says or you want to keep the peace in the family? And when you do that, you have failed when Abraham passed. So that's one of the things that you and I have to contend with. It's one thing to hear these things, but it's in reality when it comes home, see how we deal with it. So, if you face an examination to give up family relationship in favor of being faithful to the Lord, you should remember that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. I, I can't, uh, you know, just think about, I don't see what could have been highest and the hardest for a human being that would be willing to go sacrifice the son, the unique son, because the other one is gone. The unique son. Go lay him down and cut his throat. That's what sacrifice would have been. Now just think about it, God told you that. You say, I don't know about this, God. Are you sure you're telling me right? Oh, you know, we can argue with him everywhere. But that's the test. Abraham proved himself faithful to God. 
Therefore, Amodo, there are other believers who have faced similar situation and have passed the test by bearing the suffering attached with not having family relationship that is natural in order to be obedient to God's word. The Holy Spirit, through the human author of Hebrews, summarized the fact that believers in the past have borne all kinds of sufferings to remain faithful to the Lord as we read in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 36 through 38. Hebrews 11 36 through 38. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 36 through 38. It reads, some faced GFs and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sold in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. So the point is that when you face trials of your faith, that you should recognize that it is bearable and the believers of the past or even of the present have borne sufferings that in principle are not different from yours. It's for this reason that the Holy Spirit through Peter reminds us of the suffering of believers all over the world in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 9. First Peter, chapter 5, verse 9. First Peter, chapter 5, verse 9 reads, Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I don't know how many of you actually get uh, the voice of the matter. That magazine, they regularly put stories of Christians suffering all over the world. And I think there was one, maybe last month or so, of a girl almost 16 years old was beaten by the mother and sent out and all because she became a Christian. 16 years old. And there are a lot of 16 years old in this country. They're not even thinking about that. All they want is whatever they're thinking about. Even though they're Christians. Or at least they claim to be Christians. But they're not really willing to say, no, this is the truth. I'm going to stand by it. If you want to beat me or do, do whatever. Uh, this 16 year old girl 
eventually left home, ran away from home. You know, they, you know, they pushed her away. Because she was in a village where they were worshipping some idols and threatened to burn down the house of the parents because this young girl got saved. So you see, there are people all over the world who are going through what most of us don't even dream of ever coming close to. Yet for the little one that we face, we fold up like tears. Because we don't want to suffer. A Christianity that has no suffering with it. That, that's what we want. But that's not the Christianity of the Bible. The Christianity of the Bible carries with it suffering. So, you should be encouraged then to bear your suffering and remain faithful knowing that testing could have positive result on you as stated in first, in, I mean first in James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. James Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. James chapter 1, verse 2 reads, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. See that it has benefit, even when we're tested, when we're going through suffering, that it has benefit of developing perseverance. So anyway, when you face trials or sufferings, be encouraged to realize that God has made it possible for you to bear the suffering and to come out victorious. Bear that in mind, no matter what you're facing. The yes. God has made it possible. I can bear it. I can come out victorious. Another way to apply our interpretation of the expression what is common to man in relation to examination or temptation concerns the matter of hostile testing that may involve suffering but certainly a push towards sin. This is an examination designed to push you into the direction of sin. So when a believer is subjected to a hostile examination of the type that involves suffering and a push towards sinning, the believer should be encouraged by understanding that there have been believers in the past or present that have in principle faced similar examination and emerged victorious. Now two examples from the Old Testament scripture support our statement. Now Joseph was examined in a hostile manner or tempted to commit sexual sin but he passed it as we may gather from Genesis chapter 39 verses 7 through 10.
Now as we look at some of these things, uh, it's not really that we haven't failed, or maybe some of you have never failed, because you've been born perfect, we know that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not true. Anyway, but otherwise, if you're like us, you, you have failed. But that's not the point now. The point is, what are you doing from now? Forgetting what's in the past. You may have messed up like all of us. Or I would say some of us. Because some of you again, I say, think you have never messed up. But if you're like some of us who have messed up, failed in many, many ways, it's not what's how you failed yesterday, five years ago, or even ten years ago. That's important. It's what are you doing now? Now that you know the truth, what are you doing now? That's the issue. But here is a good example of a young man. Genesis chapter 39 verse 7 reads, And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. Now, when, you know, sometimes when we read these things, we seem not to, uh, can I do what I call one-to-one mapping to where we are today. This is exactly what we call today sexual harassment in workplace. That's exactly. And you know, most people, they read that they don't think that way. Because this is the boss. The, the woman is the boss. Because he's married to the husband. That's the husband who is the master of the house. So that is clearly what you call sexual harassment. So he said, come to bed with me. But he refused. Knowing that he is going to face some serious problem. From the woman. But then that wasn't his concern. Anyway, he says, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, has, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because... You are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now though she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Now no, I mean, you know the story, we'll study it in detail. Even though he refused, that landed him in jail. And that's not a reward for somebody being faithful, right? Except that that was part of God's plan anyway, to get him where he wants him to be. So, here's the point. This young man faced an examination. So there's no young man on this planet who calls himself a believer that can say, well, I'm being tempted to do this or do that. And I'm so weak about it. Really? Here is an example. This is one of the things that we see. That's why we said the Bible. It's given to us as an example by warning. And many of us choose to hear it and ignore it until down the road when we pay the price. Believe you me, you may be a hothead right now. And we will tell you you don't hear. You're going to pay for it. 
Keep living. You'll find out. But I'm sure if you are wise, you will avoid anything that will bring you close to suffering on this planet when it's not necessary. Anyway, so Joseph is one example. Job is another person that typified hostile examination by Satan with a push toward sinning. Now, although God meant for his testing to be a friendly one, but Satan meant for it to lead to sin on the part of Job in the sense of cursing God, but Job passed the examination in that we are informed he did not sin as we read again in Job chapter 1 verse 29. Job, sorry, Job chapter 1 verse 22, sorry. Job chapter 1 verse 22. He reads, In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So these two examples then should help us to recognize that Hostile examination by Satan can be passed, whether it involves suffering and push to sin, or simply a push towards sin. Either way we can pass it. Therefore, when we face the examination that is intended to lead us to sin, we should remember that we do not have to succumb to it, knowing that there have been believers in the past or present who have remained faithful and did not succumb to sin. We should, of course, recognize that we are not saying that you will never sin, since it's impossible, given the sinful nature that we still possess, but that we should always be mindful not to give in to temptation to sin. So anyway, a first fact about temptation and trial, the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul wants us and the Corinthians and so all of us believers to know is that no believer ever faces a temptation or trial that is not common to fallen humanity or that is unbearable. A second fact about temptation or trial that the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul wants Corinthians and so all believers to know is that God will not permit a believer to be subjected to an examination or temptation that a believer cannot handle. Now it is this fact that is given in the next sentence of where we are starting 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. It reads, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now there is the question of how really to understand the first clause, and God is faithful. Now some take the position or the clause as meaning, uh, as merely continuing what was stated in the first sentence of verse 13. So they begin the Greek clause with and as in the NIV. Others take the view that implies a contrast between what is stated in the 
second sentence and the first. So that they begin the second sentence with the word but, but, as you find in the today's English version. Still, others imply that the second sentence is not related to the first, since they began the second clause without any connectives, as you find in the English Standard Version. Now, the various interpretations we have referenced are due to how the translators interpreted a Greek particle made of two words, D and E, D, 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 E, that's the Greek particle that is used to connect one clause to another, either to express a contrast or simple continuation. Now, although it is often translated birds in the English when there is a perceived contrast between two clauses. Nonetheless, it has other meanings such as then or that is when it is used to link segments of narratives. In our verse, the apostle probably used it with the meaning because, because, to introduce the reason for the second fact that the Holy Spirit gave about examination of temptation. In other words, most of our lex- uh, Greek English lexicons do not have that meaning, because, as part of the meaning of this Greek particle. However, I think, I believe it is, as I'm going to show you. Anyway, the point is that the apostle, when I say he, he used the word because, in this sense, uh, he is thinking in terms of reason, as I'm going to explain. Now, the apostle gave the reason for a second fact before he actually stated it. Again, it is true that no English version, I have my, the software I use for my study, I have at least 28 or, I mean, almost 30 English versions, at least. But of every one of them I consulted, I do not find this interpretation of the cause. So, some of them say, well, why didn't they use it? Hmm. Remember, one of the things I tell people is, translators are not necessarily doing exegetical studies. So they don't spend that much time in certain areas when they translate. I mean, they do their best to give meanings in their translation. Now, so, my view that it should be translated because is supported in a sense by the fact that the that Greek particle has that meaning somewhere uh, in using in some of our English versions. Since we believe and know that the meaning of a word is determined by the context. A word without context doesn't tell you anything. 
So let me show you why I believe what I've just said. Now the translators of the NIV recognize this meaning that I've just given you. That twice they use it in their translation. They use this meaning when they translated a passage that indicated Joseph did not expose Mary for being pregnant without his involvement, as we read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. It reads, Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had a mind to divorce her quietly. Now the clause, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man of the NIV, is literally, as you may find in most English versions, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man. Well, it makes better sense if the literal clause is understood as supplying the reason Joseph did not expose Mary. Hence, the translation of our Greek particle as because is appropriate. Another passage where the translators of the NIV rendered our Greek particle there as because is in connection with an unnamed disciple of Jesus Christ that was known to the high priest at the time of the trial of Jesus Christ, who gained entrance into the courtyard, as we read in John chapter 18, verse 15. John chapter 18, verse 15. John chapter 18, verse 15. It is Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's court, courtyard. To the clause, because this disciple was known to the high priest, is literally from the Greek, and that disciple was known to the high priest. And that disciple, that means the Greek particle is translated as and. Again, it makes a better sense to give the reason for the unnamed disciples getting entrance to the courtyard before stating that he did. Hence, although the Greek Particle may be uh, literally translated and, but in more, it is more communicative to use the meaning because here in John 18, verse 15. Does then, it should be clear that our Greek particle may, depending on the context, be translated because. So we contain then that in the second sentence of 1 Corinthians 10, verse, 9, uh, verse 13, 
that it is probably the meaning because that the apostle had in mind. In effect, he stated the reason for the second fact that he gave about examination or temptation before actually stating it. Now the reason the apostle gave for stating the second fact we reference is the character of God. As in the phrase, I mean it's in the sentence of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 that we're starting. He says, God is faithful. Because God is faithful. Now the, the word faithful is translated from a Greek adjective, pistos, that pertains to being what you believe, pistos, P-I-S-T-O-S. Or to trust, and so the Greek word has a range of meaning. When used of persons, the word may mean reliable, reliable. As the word is used by Apostle Paul in his instruction to Timothy about those that should be handed truth to dispose or dispense to others, as we read in Second Timothy chapter two, verse two. Second Timothy. Chapter 2, verse 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 reads, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable, that's a Greek adjective, pistos, men, a reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, Apostle Paul used the word in the sense of faithful, to describe those who were his co-workers, as for example, concerning Tychicus in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 21. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 21. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 21 reads, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Now the Greek word may mean trustworthy, trustworthy, as Apostle Paul used it to indicate that God graciously granted him the privilege of being a person that can be considered trustworthy. And so, the Corinthians should hear what the Holy Spirit says through him as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 25 reads, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now when the word is used of God though, as one in whom 
we can have full confidence. It may also be translated just faithful, as it is uh, used in Second Corinthians chapter one verse eighteen. Second Corinthians chapter one verse eighteen. It reads, But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. Now God is described as faithful to his promise in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23. Hebrews Chapter 10, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 reads, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we confess, or we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, the Greek word adjective is used with the meaning of faithful in the sense of being characterized by steadfast affection to believers and commitment to his promise. In other words, faithful, that is used as steadfast uh, affection towards believers and commitment to his promise. And so, one in whom we can have full confidence. Now let's be clear, when the apostle wrote, God is faithful. He wants us to recognize that God is perfectly loyal and consistent in being true to his character and his word. God is faithful means he can be counted upon to keep all his promises. He never reneges on his word. It is this fact that Balaam confessed in Numbers chapter 23 verse 19. Numbers Numbers chapter 23 verse 19. It is, God is not a man that he should lie, no, a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So he's trying to tell us something about God's faithfulness. So a whole lot of us Christians, we know we should say, do what we say. But some of us, we talk too much that we can't think. Too many things come out of our mouth because we talk too much. And for whatever reason, we do that. So we say things, we make promises and don't even realize we've made promise. And we don't keep it. God is not like that. When God tells you something, Back on it. 
Some of us, you hear some of us say something, I don't bank on it. Because they probably don't even know what they're talking about. Just because they like to talk. And they just, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll do this for you tomorrow. That's a promise you're making. But if you're a very careless person with your spiritual life, you don't realize that. Anyway, so Apostle Paul stated, this truth then of God keeping his promise when he assured the Thessalonians and so all believers that God will sanctify and keep them as stated in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 24. Well, looking at time, we take a break after break, we'll read it. 